0: Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, I've got a pretty exciting subject that I want to uh, talk with you about tonight, and that's the power of God. So uh, my prayer for tonight is that uh, this message encourages you to study this subject further and to have a look at what the power of God means to you personally and what God might reveal to you about his power in your life. So, with that in mind, I want you to turn to two scriptures to start with. First, first Corinthians chapter 2, I'm just going to read verse 11 and 12, and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. So, first Corinthians chapter 2, we start at verse 11, and it says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, which is of God. And here's the reason that he said that he's given us the Spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, God tells us that he wants us to know what he's given us. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and have a look at, we're going to read from verse 17. This is a really exciting subject. What does the power of God mean to you? How does the power of God manifest itself in your life? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to have a look at that. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we want to read from verse 17. It says that God... That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's that word know again. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of of his power to us would who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places so that passage of scripture god wants us to know three things in verse 18 and 19 he wants us to know what the, what is the hope of his calling the second thing he wants us to know is the riches of his glory and the third thing and the thing that I want to concentrate on tonight is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe. So I just want you to notice a couple of things, a couple of uh, phrases first before we, look, before we uh, get into it. In verse 18 he says that ye may know. That phrase that ye may know means to properly see and behold. It is not just an academic knowledge that he wants us to have. He wants you and I, as his children, to practically experience, to behold his power in our life. And and that's backed up further in verse 19, where he says, according to the working of his mighty power. That word working, the practical operation. He doesn't want you and I to just have academic knowledge of him in this life. As we walk with him, he wants us to experience him. And this is what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. He wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us would. That ye may know the working of his mighty power in our life. See, this journey of life that we have in Jesus is designed for experience and not academics. See, I'm not satisfied to simply just have an academic understanding of his power in my life. And I hope you're not either. I want to experience him and know that I have. Because this life is, we, we only have this life to live by faith and to experience the things that he says in this book that we get to experience in this life. We only have it, we have the one shot, the one chance. I did the maths and my, my family, <laughs> My family hate that I do this. I'm 52 years old. Yep, I know, I look 35, but I'm 52. Um, if you were here, you would see Barnes up the back giggling at that. I figured if I made it to 80, and I figure if I make it to 80, that's pretty good. I'll be happy with that. I've only got 28 years left. Teach us to number our days so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom, the Bible says. What am I going to do for that next 28 years? What do I want to see in that next 28 years. I want, to, I, want to, I want to follow where the Lord is leading and I want to experience him. I don't want to get to the end of my days and have not ever really experienced the presence and power of Jesus in my life and know it. And know it. See, these two passages of scripture tell us that we are meant to experience practically to behold what has been given to us in inheritance? See Galatians 4:7 tells us that we are heirs through Christ. We are sons, therefore we are heirs through Christ. So then, what have we inherited? Well, we've inherited the power of God in our life. We 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 didn't have it really before we were saved, but we have the power of God in our life now, as born again believers. And Ephesians 1.19 tells us that he wants us to know this and experience him through his power in our life. As I said before, according to the working of his mighty power, the practical working of his mighty power in our life. Well, then, how do we experience his power that he wants us to know about and that we have inherited? Well, I'll get you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. If you know me and you have certainly been in my class over the past sort of couple of years, my Bible class over the last couple of years, you'll know how big I am on this subject because I, it means a significant amount to me and I know it means a lot to, uh, to many others as well and this will become evident. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us, All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. There's that word again, no knowledge, that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4 Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. But that by these, the promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Think about that for a minute. Think about what God's saying to you and I in this verse. He's saying that when we practically experience the fulfilling of his promises in our life, we experience him. We become a partaker of his divine nature. We become a partaker of his power in our life. See, there is nothing, I, think, I believe there's nothing more powerful in a believer's life than the power of God's promises. Why? Because that's a key vehicle God uses to show us his power to personally, individually show us his power in our life. See, the journey of the Christian life, as I said before, is designed for experience and not academics. When the Lord said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, I wonder if he thought or I wonder if he meant that this is what an abundant life is all about, living a life that is experiencing him, experiencing his presence, Experiencing his power. Why would he give us promises if they were never if we were never meant to experience them? They're given so that we can practically experience him in this life every day. I know I keep using the word experience. I've used the word experience about a thousand times already, and I'm going to keep using it because we can tend to be satisfied with the academic knowledge. But that is not, that is not the end of it. We need to move from the academic knowledge and he wants us to move from the academic knowledge to the practical experience of him. This is exciting. This is an exciting thing because there are promises in this book here for every stage and season of our life's journey. Every stage and every season of our life's journey. This is how I believe it looks. See, on the journey of life, as He leads us, we follow, right? He knows the path we will take. And it's almost like along our journey, He prepositioned promises along that path at certain points along the way. And He reveals these promises to us at just the right time. Sometimes they're sort of long spanning promises where you get a promise that you get to hold on to that keeps you going for a, for a season or longer. Then there are other promises that, uh, that we get that are very specific ones at a specific point in time. As we walk this journey, our path interacts with his promises and through faith in his word, bam, power, the power of God in our life. You know, and mostly these promises show us his power to deliver, or to sustain us. See, we experience him, the, uh, experience him through the fulfilling of a promise in spite of an obstacle that's on the path and that then leads us to learn more about him and in the process we learn more about us. We learn, we get to learn through experiencing him through these promises, the fulfilling of these promises coming to, coming to uh, fulfilment in our life We get to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We experience victory because of his power. Our faith then increases, which then leads us to to the next situation in our life, the next promise of deliverance or sustainment, and it's like this continuing circle. But as that circle spins, what happens is we move from faith to faith and our faith grows. We get more confident in him. We get more certain of his word. We get to understand him closer. So generally, as I said, I think the promises fit into two categories, promises of deliverance and promises of sustainment. Let me give you a couple tonight. Promises of deliverance, Psalm thirty-four, nineteen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He didn't, say he didn't deliver us out of some of them. He said all of them. Colossians 1.13 says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Matthew 11.28, this is promises of deliverance. He said, come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. James 5 says the prayer of faith shall save that is heal the sick and God shall raise him up. Then we have some promises and there's many more. There's many, many more. And I encourage you, I really, I encourage you to, to, to seek these out, look for these promises. We've got promises of sustainment. Psalm 29, 11, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then in Philippians 4, this is my, one of my favourites, verse 6 and 7, he said, be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the promise. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These are promises of sustainment. Again, there's plenty more. You see it all through the Bible. Promises of deliverance, promises of sustainment. You see deliverance when, Egypt, uh, sorry, when Israel left Egypt. You see sustainment for 40 years. The clothes did not fall off, off uh, Israel's back and the shoes didn't rot off their feet. And God fed them with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. Sustainment. And he does that for you and I still today. And there are promises in there that, that, that reveal that to us. See, this process of pre-positioning of promises keeps us moving on the journey to experience and understand him at a much deeper level as we grow and conform to the image of Christ. And really, this is the part, this next part is is where I want to get to. If you turn to Hebrews chapter chapter 11, let's talk for a minute about what are we supposed to do with these promises? You know, I'm sure that we've all had times where we've been reading the Bible. God just, a, a passage of scripture just arrests our attention. And you go, whoa, could that be for me? And there's something in there that God gives you and you go, hang on, is that, could that be for me? Surely not for me. I've done this, I know you've probably done this too. Surely it's not for me. But then we go, whoa, hang on. I'm going through this particular thing in my, in my life or I need some encouragement or I need something and here's this piece this passage of scripture that I've read a thousand times before but all of a sudden it arrests my attention today. Well, isn't, isn't that coincidental? But we know that's not coincidental. We know that's God. And so what are we supposed to do with that then? Well, have a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing because uh, of time's sake, but you'll see from verse 1 it talks about, you know, they call it the hall of faith. Um, We see, you know, it talks about in verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, uh, for it by the elders obtained, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Um, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Then he talks and he names a number of people in here. By faith, Abel in uh, verse 4. By faith, Enoch in verse 5. Then he says in verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Then in verse 7, he starts to talk about Noah. By faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Then in uh, verse 9, by faith, Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise. Verse 11, through faith, also Sarah. So he's mentioning all these people with all these different promises that they obtained by faith. Then he goes to verse 13 and he says this. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Here's what God's saying that they did. And here's what I think he's telling us to do. See, God showed them some things, some promises to them, just like he does with you and I. And they did this. They were persuaded. They were convinced of the promise and that it was for them. How? By faith, just like you and I. Like I said before, you know, when you see something, are you ever 100% sure that when you get something from, from, from the Lord that it's actually for you? You know, we've got a lot of noise that goes on in our mind. We've got a lot of noise that goes on around us. I've got to be honest, I'm never 100%, never 100% sure. But as I sit and I dwell on it, I start to be persuaded that this is for me. And I wonder if that's what they did as well. Being persuaded led them to embracing the promises. See, they came into a union with it, a closeness with the promise, and it became close to them. See, it's a powerful word, embrace, to hold with great purpose, to embrace, to behold. Remember that word behold? We found that was similar in Ephesians 1, that ye may know. That word know was to behold. See, embracing promises, I think, can take on a couple of different forms. Um, and I can point to promises in my life that reflect these two types of embraces. I think the first one is there is a saving embrace. Um, it's like when you're drowning and someone throws you a life jacket. You embrace that and hold on for dear life, right? If you've ever... <laughs> that's happened to me. it's happened to me in the Tully River in North Queensland where I thought I was going to drown, I got thrown a, a life jacket and I embraced that thing because if I didn't embrace that thing, uh, I was gone. It's like, so these are promises that we bra- embrace because without it, we may not make it. Similar to these, I these sort of put in that category of promises of deliverance, right? Then we've got a comforting embrace bit like when you see someone you love dearly you haven't seen for a while and you embrace them with joy and with the, and a sweetness and you get that peace and that calm you feel by just having them there close to you you know some promises i've embraced like that these promises of sustainment they bring comfort they bring peace you've got a saving embrace and then a comforting embrace so they were persuaded of these promises they embrace these promises and then they come to the very thing that we Independent Baptists love to do: is confess. We really don't. <laughs> we are. We really don't. I think across Christianity, Christendom, we're probably the quietest group of people around. Confess. Here's what they confessed. They spoke out loud the outcome of the promises. They confessed what they were persuaded to believe and what they had embraced. You see it in there. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These promises they got made them realise what the outcome was and that was that they were not of this place. See, for us though, when I say confessing, speaking out loud, I think for many of us, fear automatically kicks in. And fear will stop this from happening. Fear will stop us confessing the revelation of the power of God in our life because what if I'm wrong? What if I've read it wrong? Uh, what if he doesn't deliver? What if God doesn't deliver on this promise? Uh, what will people say? Do you know that huh, in class one day we, are, we were talking about fear and the the single one of the, the there was only two things that people feared. The fear of the wrath of God for doing something wrong, and that's a whole other story. The other one was the fear of man, the brethren. The fear of the brethren. Isn't that amazing? Fear of each other. What's what 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 will someone say if I've if, I've been, if God's revealed something to me and I'm persuaded that this thing is for me, I'm convinced it's for me, I've embraced that thing and now I'm confessing it, even if I don't have it yet. Fear comes upon us because what will people say? Well, let me give you a word of warning. When you confess some of those things that you're really excited about, you ever got something from the Lord... If you ever got something from God and you are excited about it and then you go tell someone and they sort of look at you with a blank look of like, whatever. Or <laughs> you'll get some that will go, fantastic, amen, whatever, right? Because they might just get it. Some will just look at you blankly and go, I don't, I don't even, yeah, whatever. That really doesn't mean anything to me. And then there's some who will probably try and convince you that you've got it wrong. Don't despair. Don't let fear stop you because understand that the revelation God gave you is primarily for you. And it may not be for others. But that doesn't matter. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2 for a minute. Just turn back to the 1 Corinthians because I want to show you something um, and I'm almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to look at verse 4 and 5. See, Paul said this, he said, And my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul said the things he spoke of, the things God revealed to him, he didn't do it so that he could stand in the wisdom of men. He spoke in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power so that our faith would not be determined by the wisdom of men but by the power of God. So don't fear what man will say. Don't fear that. Don't stop that from, from allowing you to confess and speak. And there's a reason why we should do this, there's a reason why we need to speak aloud the promises of god the power of god and i'll get you to turn to second corinthians 4:13 second corinthians 4:13 bible says this we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written as it is written i believed and therefore have i spoken We also believe and therefore speak. You know, he's saying to us, Speak that which you believe about what God reveals to you. See, revelation reveals what faith must explore. Exploring without fear the things God reveals to you in his word is what leads us to being persuaded, embracing, and then confessing. Speak that which you believe. He said it right there. See, there's great power in our words. There's great power in the words that we use. Uh, in I think it's Proverbs where it talks about death and life are in the power of the tongue. But there's great power when we use the word of God, when we speak the word of God. I've, I've taught this before, but very quickly, have a look at Ephesians 6 and verse 17. This is the whole, this is the armour of God. And if you turn to Ephesians 6 have a look at verse 17 it says and take on and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God So the sword of the spirit which is the word of God that word word in the Greek is rima and rima means utterance spoken word See the, isn't it interesting that the only weapon in this whole fit out of armor is the sword you can defend with it, but the, but a sword is, not, is primarily designed for attacking. There's a whole heap of things we could say here tonight, but I can't for time's sake because this is a whole other message. But he's saying the sword of the Spirit is the spoken word of God, the power that the spoken word of God has. So think about that when it comes to the promises that he gives you and me and what we're supposed to do with them and tie it back to Persuaded, embracing, confessing. See, if this piques your interest, have a look at, um, and I won't do it tonight. But 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 have a look at uh, Matthew chapter four, when uh, and Jesus gives us an example of when he defeated, uh, defeated Satan and Satan came against him. He spoke the word of God to him. He kept saying, "It is written." Every time Satan threw something at him, Jesus said, "It is written." it is written. And he, of course, being the word, knew the word better than, knows the word better than anyone else. But you see, there's great power in the utterance, in the speaking of God's word. It's a weapon we're supposed to be skilled at using and it's the only weapon he's given us to battle with. So, just to finish this off, see, the Lord wants us to know, and to know, to properly see it and to behold it the exceeding greatness of his power that is directed to us who believe. He doesn't want us to have this academic knowledge of it. He wants us to experience his power because when we do this, we we become partakers of his divine nature. Partakers of his divine nature. God said to Abraham, he said, I am thy exceeding great reward. He said to Abraham, he said, you get me. Imagine if God said that to you. Well, and he does. We got him. We have the spirit of God. We have God, the, Holy, the person of the Holy Spirit, dwelling within us. I don't know that we, that we think on that enough. The power of God that dwells within us, the same power that spoke creation into being, dwells within you and I as believers. He said, you get me. And you know, when we have the Lord as our God, we get everything because he is everything. The power of God in our lives is an exciting thing to look at. It's an exciting thing to study. And I'd encourage you to, um, to, to, to study this. And hopefully this will encourage you to look at, uh, at, some, at, at more of this into the scripture and see what, what are the promises. What, what is God trying to say to you? What has God got for you You as you journey on this life and this path? What's, what promise is going to intersect? What's God going to give you that's going to sustain you or deliver you? Pretty exciting stuff. It's pretty exciting stuff. So let's have a word of prayer as we finish tonight. Father, I just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you, are, that you love us and that you want us to experience your power in our lives. Because when we do that, Lord, I get that we experience you. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you uh, for your mercy. Thank you for the power, for your power. Because without you, Lord, without that in our lives, we will be nothing. So, Lord, thank you for your love. And I just ask you to continue to be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. And uh, I trust you have a great week in the Lord.